The NHL trade deadline has come and gone, which means it's time to break down everything that happened on February 25th. And we have a special guest on the show to lend us a helping hand. Which teams won and lost? Will this change anything about the Stanley Cup playoffs this year and who wins it all? The post-deadline Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubuff. And we've got a good dynamic of hockey insight on the show because we have a fan of a team that's in a chase for the Stanley Cup. That would be Brett Spruins. We've got a fan of a team that's totally in ruins. That would be my Ottawa Senators. And our special guest is a fan of the New Jersey Devils who are having a tough go of things this year, but still have a bright future ahead and uh you've probably heard of chris wessel before he's been on the show a few times brings a lot of insight and just a terrific guy chris welcome back great to have you on the program once again thank you guys hey by the way guys um did you hear the rumor that winter has returned to to the northeast yeah oh boy i hope that's false i hope that's fake news we we snowing all day today here in boston winter, winter has bombarded autumn with snow i'm done i'm done with winter i i'm good until next year thank you very much okay the the, the funniest joke is the last the last the last time last two times i've been in ottawa yeah we, we there's been one storm that was that was the december 2016 storm where they had over a foot in like over two days yeah and it was like 15 below at night which people are just like oh my god it's so cold in december and i'm like okay um, <laughs> And then the second time was actually uh, December of 2017, where it did it again for another half foot, or about 17 centimeters for for, for the Canadians out there uh, listening. And I was told not to come back. Wow. I, I yeah. wish I was kidding because it was like single yeah. it, it was like single digits Fahrenheit or like about 15 20 uh, minus C. And they're just uh, it's too got it's too it's too damn early people. Um, I'm like, this is nothing. I was like, I remember winters as a kid. Right. It's like hot. It's like hockey weather. Come on. That's so yeah, bad. We, we had a snowstorm in February of 2016. That was really, really bad. It was like 40 to 50 centimeters. And it just, it was just a total onslaught. It was, oh, I've never had a scarier commute to work. It was terrible. Uh, let's, yeah, it's, it snowed uh, uh, briefly yesterday. I thought it was going to snow all day. So I'm, I'm happy about that. But. Uh, let's get going here. Um, sorry for uh, uh, doing that. Yeah, being that guy. I uh, I'm, I'm like the, I feel like a teacher in a classroom. It's just like let's let's get to let's get on schedule, guys. Um, get to the lesson. Yeah. 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 Um, the uh, well, first off, uh, welcome back, Chris. Um, we yeah. So we're gonna do a trade deadline uh, type ex- ex- extravaganza here. Um, even though the trade deadline happened last Monday, um, we, uh, we usually record on Sunday, um, and, uh, yeah, so we were, we just wanted to go through all the trades that happened after we recorded. Uh, speaking of which, uh, since Chris is here, um, I thought I'd give you the opportunity, Chris, to, any thoughts that you have on the Duchesne, Dzingle, Zuccarello trade, 
um, or Charlie Coyle trade that we um, we talked about last week. But um, of course, uh, you know, since you're here, what uh, what what are your thoughts generally on on those four trades? It's funny because somebody asked me about the, the Zuccarello trade on, on on WFAN locally here, and my first thought was, my God, Jeff Gordon did not get a first round draft pick mm-hmm. out of this somehow, and he's now not going to, yep. literally because of what happened not even thirty six hours later at the right. Zuccarello, and that's unfortunate. I mean, look, that was a freak thing. It, yeah. By the way, we we recorded before uh, that injury happened, but. Uh, he is uh, he is out four weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, and, to and everyone it's, who it's just know. one of those unlucky type of things. And he was having an unbelievable game against yeah. Chicago. Yeah, the goal and an assist. He drove Patrick Kane crazy twice. Yep. I mean, I could see Kane shaking his head like, oh, "What the heck?" Yeah. Um, I was like, I'm not used to facing this guy uh, more than a couple times a year, and uh, he just blew by me like I was standing still. Um, but. You know, Zuccarello trade was important. The, the, the good thing in all of this, obviously, was Jamie Benn came back this week, yep. scored, two, scored a hat-trick, which, okay, the empty net goal was cheesy as anything, but yeah, it's still a hat-trick nonetheless. Uh, basically, that's their best acquisition of the trade deadline. If Jamie Benn can play like he normally plays, yeah. then they can overcome the Zuccarello injury at least enough because they have the defense and goaltending. It's just a question of can you crank out a little more offense and a little more on the power play in particular, which completely started the slump and necessitated the trade for Zuccarello. Um, Duchesne and Dezingle kind of a package deal, and I'm not surprised that they're starting to play together in Columbus. Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Ottawa, Stephen's going to like this. Ottawa actually kind of wins this trade in a sense, only for this reason. And this is key. Columbus is not making the playoffs as it stands now. <laughs> they cannot make the playoffs. I know it sounds nuts, but unless something improves dramatically in that locker room, yep. they're not making the playoffs. They got shut it, out by the Oilers last night or yesterday. It, it was. It's not. It's not an yeah. ability. It's not an ability or talent problem. Yeah. And it's not Tortorella for once. I love. I love people are saying this is John Tortorella's fault. No, it's not. It's up at this point. It is up to the players. It is up to Sergei, guys like Sergey Bobrovsky to either, well, for lack of a term, take a dump or get off the pot, right. and start playing the well, way he's. Well, we know what Panarin is. <laughs> Panarin, yeah. like we know what Panarin's doing. Right, we know what. Yeah, we, the Russian vodka sales in Columbus. Uh, well, I was making a joke about uh, how Tortorella said that he was. Uh, he had uh, the diarrhea, yeah, but yeah. The, 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 Sorry, I was too subtle there. <laughs> um, but but that's the kind of problem that they're, they're having right now. And obviously, whatever power play guru Martin St. Luke, yeah, exert laughter here, is not working either. Um, but again, it, just, it comes down to players. Players, you have a power play that should be around the top 10 or 12 in the league, and it's nearly last. Yeah. That's unacceptable. Uh, for for the talent that's there, it, 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 again, it comes down to the players on the ice. So, in that sense, Ottawa might have actually won that trade by subtracting, because the players they subtracted are hurting their power play, but now they're also, weirdly enough, hurting Columbus's power play for whatever bizarre reason. Um, 
Coil, Coil, I think is the wild card in all this as far as the, 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 the first four trades. Um, he hasn't played bad for Boston. I, I got to watch him firsthand last night. He looked pretty good. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, that whole third line for, for Boston actually looked better than the first line for most of the night. You know, there's one or two shifts, but for the most part, Bergeron and Marshad were really invisible other than that little four or five minute stretch in the first period. After that, it was just like, nope, paint drying, more paint drying, lots of paint drying. But Coyle made a presence, particularly against the Devils' bottom six, which, yes, I know resembles the Bingham Devils. Oh, because it is. <laughs> um, but that's the kind of matchups that he will get throughout the final eight to 18 games or so. In the playoffs. And that should be something where he can at least feast a little bit fantasy-wise. He might even become kind of fantasy-relevant again. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Although third line minutes isn't great, but for fantasy purpose. But yeah, no, I, I agree. He he's he's a definitely a good uh, defensive forward, which is something that the Bruins need in the in the back end of things. Of course, Bergeron and Krejci are really good uh, defensively on the top end of things. But Coyle, uh, now that I've watched Coyle um, uh, in a couple of games, he he's been. Uh, I like what I'm seeing, just defensively speaking. Um, to, having keep us hurting himself. having said key. that, just watching Ryan Donato kill it in uh, in Minnesota, it's like uh, it, it just reminds me of Frank Vitrano all over be again. Patient. Or be patient. The I know. Streak will come. It always. I know the same thing happened in Boston, but it's it's just uh, it's now it's just like I I always envision like all the we trade all our young players away. Um, it's just it gets frustrating after a while. Um, anyways, uh, none as frustrating as uh, Steve's uh, sends because, uh, uh, by the way, thanks for your analysis. We kind of had the same kind of thought process as you did for all those four trades. Um, but uh, Steve's uh, sends made another big trade, um, which is where we'll start off uh, talking about is uh, we're going to talk about Mark Stone is going to the Vegas Golden Knights, um, Mark Stone, um, and then all, as well as Tobias Lindbergh. Uh, the Ottawa Senators get back Oscar Lindbergh, um, Eric Brandstrom, and a 2020 second round pick uh, that uh, was from Dallas. Um, which you know, it's uh, I I didn't realize this now that I'm looking at this trade. Two Lindberghs were traded, um, which is kind of funny. Uh, but obviously the big uh the big players here are Brandstrom and Mark Stone. Brandstrom I was hearing is like considered like in terms of prospects, he's like up there with Kale McCarr and um Quinn Quinn Hughes in terms of defensemen. Um, who are who are ready, um, who are not in the NHL yet, but they uh, will be pretty soon. Um, Brandstrom has uh, 29 points in 43 games uh, for both Chicago and Belleville. Um, so, so there's that to look forward to, Steve, uh, with Brandstrom and Shabbat. But obviously, you, we've been talking about this all year for you with like how you don't want to lose Mark Stone um, but it's it's happening. 
So um, I'll give it to you first on your thoughts. Uh, what um, what do you think about this trade? Well, um, we're going to be recording part two of the podcast tomorrow. Mm. We'll be talking about this in Bruins sense. So I'll go more in depth then. So I'll mostly talk about the trading aspects, the, the trade itself. Um, yeah, that's fine. Basically, Vegas is getting one of the best two-way players, not just forwards, two-way players this game has to offer right now. Mark Stone is the king of takeaways. He's been the king of takeaways for multiple years right now. He's operating on a point-per-game pace this year, career year for him, going to be a huge boost for that Vegas offense. And when you look at the standings of the Pacific Division right now, the Vegas Golden Knights will will need every single ounce of offense that they can muster because I don't know if you've seen the jousting between the Sharks and the Flames right now. San Jose and Calgary is battling it out for that top spot in the Pacific Division. If all goes well, Vegas probably finishes third. So whoever does not finish first in the Pacific this year, and there's a noticeable drop-off between first and second and everyone else in that division, whoever does not finish first in the Pacific, whether it's San Jose or Calgary, they will more than likely go up against the Vegas Golden Knights in round one. So that means the Vegas Golden Knights will need to roll four lines against their opponent. Their top six will need to step up. And the acquisition of Mark Stone helps fill that void that the Golden Knights would have had in round one had they not made this trade. So obviously Vegas um, are clear winners in the short term and the long term, especially when you consider, and we'll talk about this in the podcast, that Mark Stone has signed an extension with the Vegas Golden Knights. And it's not just a three-year or a five-year, it's an eight-year. So we'll talk more about that in part two. Okay. From, from the Sens' point of view, this isn't a bad trade when you consider it was a deadline day transaction that happened, I'd say, the final 15 minutes or so before 3 p.m. Eastern time when a deadline uh, was set for. Yeah, it was just in the wire. Yeah. So when I heard about the Stone extension or the rumblings of said extension at the time, I wondered, gee, should Pierre Dorian have been asking for a first-round pick on top of the return that they got? Or even even if it's not first-round pick, another prospect or a roster player. And my thought process is, okay, maybe he was going for that, but maybe Vegas was pretty firm on the offer that they made, and they're just like, look, here's what we're offering you. Take it or leave it. Because if this trade doesn't happen, they probably lose Mark Stone for nothing on July 1st. Yep. Sens gave him an offer, didn't take it then, highly doubt he takes it July 1st. And if that's the case, as tough as it is, they would have to trade Mark Stone on Monday. So as far as the return goes, I wouldn't call it a slam dunk deal, but it's a decent return for Mark Stone because, like you said, Eric Brandstrom is one hell of a hockey player, a guy that, according to the TSN panel, was considered an untouchable by Vegas. And they actually asked an NHL executive, what do you think of this deal? And the NHL executive said, we couldn't match that offer that Vegas made for Mark Stone. Yeah. Uh, Brandstrom's yep. a promising future defenseman that in some forms has been compared to Eric Carlson. Stop me if you heard that name before. Uh, Oscar Lindbergh is someone that can play bottom six minutes, maybe a guy that can provide a bit of upside on the top six if things go well. And they get a second round pick that complements all the other future assets they've acquired. So if I had to give Dorian a rating, I would give it a solid B. 
but I'm not going any higher because Mark Stone is no longer an Ottawa senator. <laughs> and that really, really stings for a Sens fan. Uh, yeah, Chris, what are, what, we'll take it to Chris. What are your thoughts? Wow, I, I almost have to bow to uh, uh, Steve Stevens' uh, <laughs> Thank you. You know, description because it's it's exactly what we were, we were talking about on uh, um, uh, Monday night's uh, fa- fantasy show. The first things first, Eric Branstrom, top two defenseman for the next 10 to 15 years. Simply put, he's only going to get better, which is scary. His shot, just, just ask some people in, in, in the Vegas system, or, or ask Brandon Perry sometime how that shot feels on the legs in, in practice. It's not pleasant. Um, Branstrom has a 100-mile-per-hour slap shot that's oh. very underrated, uh, for one. Two, he gets pucks to the net, has excellent transitional acceleration, which you do not see with defensemen his age. Under the age of 20, you do not see lateral movement like his very often. If you mentioned with the Colorado Avalanche uh, prospect earlier, but actually faster which, look, and people will say, well, he only had 28 points in 41 games so far for Vegas' AHL team, and that's true. Again, he's 19 freaking years old. It's not like he's 23 or 24 or or et cetera, or even say 21, 22, where he's a couple years into a system and you'd expect a little bit more. This is his first year, and he's exceeded expectations wildly which has led to people going hmm, oh okay this is like getting a top three pick which ottawa yes lost is i know it, it's like it's like revisionist history to death but they're getting the they're getting their pick back and they're basically getting a top three draft pick back now can you go higher than a b no because as steven said once mark stone signs that extension any talk of this being a B plus or A minus trade is off the table immediately. Yeah. Dorian had to have some kind of idea that there was an extension in the works. If he didn't, well, that he's just being awfully naive. I or think. He's talking on the post I think. Uh, I think the senators like had Mark Stone in the room and he was talking to Vegas yep. at the time just to to just to hash everything out. Yes. So yes, that was the basic. That was the that was the big reason why Vegas was willing to trade Brandstrom, uh, just because of uh, Mark Stone was willing to to resign in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Boston wasn't Boston wasn't willing to part with their top guys. Yeah. Calgary. They, uh, I think Ottawa wanted Yusuf Alamaki very badly, and. Ka- Brad Trevig was like, oh, heck no. That's not happening. Yeah, Win- and, Winnipeg uh, didn't want any part of the Murder Stone trade after a while as well. They bowed out too. They bowed. All the, te- all the teams that I thought might eventually bow out did. Nashville bowed out very early. They saw they saw the prices and just ducked and went, okay, you know what? We're going to get Granlin. We're going to get Simmons. And we're going to do it for a lot cheaper than it would cost us to get Mark Stone. Yeah. So at that point, basically... Ottawa took one look, realized they were probably dealing with just Vegas, and that's it. 
and took the best offer they could they could get. Yeah. Um, the only, I mean, I do, I mean, it, it seems like uh, all the, the prospects, people, the scouts, and clearly you, Chris, are very high on Brandstrom. I'm not, I, like, I kn- I've heard of him before, but I wasn't necessarily, um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on prospects and stuff. So that's a huge get. I guess the, the only reason why I would agree with Steve's statement on making this a B is they didn't get a first. Um, you know, of course, you know, Ottawa did get a first for Col- from Columbus, which may be higher than uh, we thought it was before before that Duchesne trade. But um, I thought at least they could get like a first round pick uh, from whoever. Um, but again, I guess like Brandstrom is is a high blue chip prospect um and maybe i don't know maybe a first round pick when it wouldn't um wouldn't be enough or vegas wouldn't do that if they threw in a first round pick but um it's something for sure um all right let's go to the the biggest surprise uh of the, the trade deadline day uh, Michael Granlin, I guess there was rumors in the morning that uh, Minnesota was uh, shipping uh, Michael Granlin or they're looking at offers for Michael Granlin and people kind of like didn't take it seriously because it didn't make that much sense. Like sure they traded Nino Nitterreiter, um, Charlie Coyle, um, you know, early on this year. So they were obviously selling but uh, to say that, like, oh, they're gonna trade Michael Granlin, their best player, um, that was kind of surprising. Um, and then uh, there was rumors that he was going to Nashville, and maybe uh, Ely Tolvanen was coming back, or uh, something like that, or all that stuff. But it turned out that Granlin was traded uh, to Nashville. Um, and the only uh, thing that Minnesota got back was Kevin Fiala, um, which is kind of strange. Uh, not not to take anything away from Kevin Fiala because he is he does have a lot of potential. I think he's only like 22 years old, um, but he's having he's struggling this year for sure. Versus Granlin, who's like on a 70 point pace for the third straight year. Um, in a row, um, he is a really good player, um, and he's gonna like shore up the team uh, for for Nashville here. Um, you know, this is yet another reason why David Poyle is like a genius, because I don't know how he was able to swing this and not. I can uh, I can understand it if if Minnesota's getting Tolvanen back or uh, like a big like even Dante Fabro, but like to to only get. Fialo back, like, what is, I don't understand what Fenton is thinking here. Um, let's take it to you, Chris, first. Um, do you have the similar thoughts to what I have? I, I, I looked at this trade, and, and first off, I, I immediately thought of the personal part of this. Ah, he is in labor, like, at the time, seriously. You know, she, she's due any day now. Wow, that's, that's, that's pretty cold. I mean, I guess, the, I guess the player was struggling a little bit, but this isn't... Look, Graylin, Graylin's a 65 to 70 point talent. Yeah. And, then, and we saw what happened earlier, earlier in February when they traded 
Nino Niederreiter just because he was underperforming a little bit for Victor Rask, who was underperforming massively. Niederreiter is pretty good last I checked, and Rask is injured. Yeah. So I took a look at this trade and went, what the heck is Benton Dick? I mean, is there any rationale to this whatsoever? And a lot of people are high on Fiala, and rightfully so. I mean, this is a player that has some serious talent. There's no question about it. But the problem is, and it's always been a problem with Fiala, is can he stay consistent enough? We saw it even last year when he almost had 50 points last year. And was a, I would say, more or less a mainstay on the national power play. Produced 13 points on it, made it viable at least. And this year it was completely the opposite. Everything went south. Now, is that proof that last year was an outlier for him? Probably no. This year is more the outlier than anything, considering he's shooting right around 7.5%, which he's never been below 9. So there is a little bit of positive regression that could come, I suppose. But in the context of the trade, the problem is he doesn't have the forwards around him necessarily like he did in Nashville. And that's more troubling. Whereas now Gramlin goes to Nashville. Yes, that problem now. Now has the talent around him that he did not have in Minnesota. There's no reason why now where, look, and for what it's worth, Gramlin's still only 27. He's young enough. People forget he came over a couple years later than most prospects do. So in the NHL sense, he's more of a 25 or 26-year-old player than 27. Yeah, he struggled a little bit this year. There's no question about it. But guys, he's still on pace for almost 60 points. Yeah. It's not like he's been terrible. It's just, again, you know, he had the two years where he shot around 11 to 13%, dropped down to nine this year. Okay, shot totals actually up a little bit compared to last year. I can't understand why Fenton would pull the trigger on something like this, going for a full shot. I never trade on potential like what Fenton's done with the last two trades. That's trouble. Yeah. I mean, Donato is a good player, but the Nino Niederreiter trade and now this one, getting Granlin, or getting Fialo for Granlin, it doesn't hold much confidence in um, in what Fenton is doing as a GM. I understand that they're kind of in a stranglehold with Parisi's contract and Suter's contract, but so they kind of are forced to trade like a lot of talent and rebuild on the spot. But um, at the same time, it's, you know, like <laughs> Michael Granlin is by far their best player. I guess other than Eric Stahl, um, but it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Steve, are you in agreement with us? 
Well, when it comes to Mikael Granlund, and, and by the way, before I get into my explanation, not only was he traded around the same time oh, yeah. that uh, his kid was born, he also turned 27 around that time. So, mm. yeah, it was a crazy 24 hours, uh, Chris, you mentioned uh, for Mikael Granlund. Uh, when it comes to Mikael Granlund, what you see is what you get as a hockey player. This guy has been a 20-goal scorer in each of the past two years. He had 26 goals in 2016-17. Last year, he had 21 goals. Uh, he picked up 69 and 67 points over that same stretch. Um, he's on pace to hit at least 20 goals and, as Chris mentioned, 60 points once again and has already made an impact with the Preds in his debut. He is a guy that can produce on the power play as well, which is, oddly enough, an area that Nashville has struggled in at times this year. I remember a time about a month or so ago where they were going through an 0 for 31 stretch or something like that with the extra man which, you know, when you look at Nashville's talent is is shocking because they have uh, so much depth offensively. Um, and Mikhail Granlin, like I said, has been a power play specialist during his time with Minnesota. He posted 20 points with the extra 19 points last year, another 18 this year. I would call him a more polished player compared to Kevin Fiala. And... He's also got another season after this at $6.5 million, which afterwards he's a UFA at the same time as Roman Yossi. And both Mikhail Granlund and Roman Yossi are going to be getting big dollar signs in their next contract, which is further proof that the National Predators need to win the Cup right now, if not this year, absolutely next year. Because it's just going to be tougher and tougher to keep everybody every single year. Um, amongst forwards in the NHL this year, Granlin is just outside the top 50 in controlled entries per contest. He has 4.63. Um, he's tied for 73rd in points per game. He has uh, 0.78 points per game this year. And uh, he's also 29th in slot pass completions per contest. He has uh, 1.92. He's averaging that this year. Um, the question I have for Granlund is how he's going to fit in with this team. Because if you remember Kyle Turris entering the fold following that first Matt Duchesne deal in November of 2017 uh, you know the one where Ottawa gave up uh, potentially first overall pick that could turn into Jack Hughes no big deal um, Kyle Turris was one of the Sens top offensive talents but due to injuries and other circumstances he's been hot and cold since then will the addition of Mikhail Granlund lead to more of the same that the Kyle Turris addition did even if he's placed in a top six role with Nashville like, Minnesota needed needed Mikhail Granlund playing top-line minutes on their team. And it was the same case for Kyle Turris in Ottawa. The Preds don't need him to do that. They need him to spark the power play. They need him to create added damage outside of the top line. So that that's from a Nashville standpoint. From a Minnesota standpoint, this is a team that's trying to keep skill, but also get a bit younger while doing so. And Fiala isn't even making a million dollars per year right now, so they're saving a bit of cap space by making this deal, almost $5 million to be exact. Uh, he's a young player that is developing his craft. He tends to drive coaches a bit bananas with some of the things that he does on, on the ice, but like you said last year, Chris, he had 23 goals and 48 points outside of the top line a season ago. He, he filled some entry holes pretty well. He has 32 points this year. The upside is definitely there when you consider that when it comes to slot pass completion percentage, he's 11th in the NHL amongst forwards. 
and he's out of the top 100 in points per game and scoring chances per game. So it, it's one of those interesting one-for-ones where I think both teams could benefit. Yeah, I guess Kevin Fiala does have potential and a, a lot of it. It's just, um, it's more like you're, you're treating what you actually have in Grandland because he's already there versus something like Kevin Fiala who might get there but mm-hmm. you know like the best that he's going to be is a Michael another Michael Granlin um, yeah. and we don't know if that's going to actually happen or not so that's why where it's risky um, and I feel like uh, Minnesota could have gotten a lot more with Granlin I mean I, I don't see uh, Minnesota making like winning the cup anytime soon so I understand why they're um, even rebuilding um, in that sense, but uh, even still, you could have gotten more for Michael Granlin. Um, it seems kind of uh, crazy to me to, to Well, yeah, to I, I think part of the reason why I can see you making that argument, and it's a valid argument to make, is because, like I said, Mikhail Granlin has one more year after this year. Fiala mm. doesn't. Right. So yeah. I could definitely see why. Even more so. <laughs> you could even, like, add a first round pick to that. Yeah. Of course, or or Ely Tolvanen. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Gustav Nyquist. Uh, well, this this trade actually happened uh, not on trade deadline day, but just before it. Um, but it will still count it because we didn't talk about it last week. Um, Gustav Nyquist is going to the Sharks for two picks, um, a twenty nineteen second and a twenty twenty conditional third round pick. The 2023 uh, will upgrade to a second round pick if the Sharks advance to the Stanley Cup final or if Nyquist re-signs with the Sharks. Um, so so there's a couple of conditions on that trade. Um, I like this deal for for the Sharks um, and, and the Red Wings. I think this is one of those trades that was good for both teams because you got, um, you know, like I would assume Nyquist is not gonna sign with the Red Wings. Um, and um, so you get two picks for him um, instead, and and that's that's always something. And then also the Sharks add to their depth. Um, It seems like a lot of teams in the Western Conference are are strengthening up the, uh, you know, obviously Vegas with Mark Stone. Um, So, so you add something more for your depth and uh, this is something that you can do. Obviously, I think the Sharks' biggest issue is their goaltending, but um, this is at least, uh, you know, makes them a, a stronger, a scarier team come playoff time. Um, and the crazy thing about Nyquist is that he's actually a pretty good player on it. He's been a good player for the, the Red Wings, even when the Red Wings have been struggling. Uh, this year he has he had 49 points for in 62 games for Detroit, um, and especially when you consider like Detroit um, is not was one of the worst teams in the league this year. So um, so at least you know now he he can enjoy some playoff time in San Jose. Um, we took it to Chris last time, so let's go to Steve on your opinion here. So, um, Gustav Nyquist, here's the thing with Gustav Nyquist. He hasn't scored 25 goals since 
his second of back-to-back seasons, his first two years in the NHL. Terrific start to his NHL career for him. He had two pretty big years to keep the Red Wings in playoff contention. He's only had one 20-goal campaign since 2014-15, and that was last year. And last year, he also had 213 shots. Considering that was on a crappy Detroit team, that's that's not too bad. Uh, this year, he has 16 goals on 169 shots. Um, hasn't scored in his first six shots with San Jose. Hasn't made an impact yet, but I have a feeling he will. Um, he sits 72nd amongst NHL boards and points per game, near the top 60 in offensive zone puck possession, also 36 in controlled zone exits per game, which is pretty interesting. So if he can get 49 points in 62 games on a, re- on a weak Red Wings team, I think he should easily find chemistry on a line like the Sharks have with Kevin LeBanc and Joe Thornton. And that would be their third line. And I, like I said um, before, that's how good the Sharks are as a team offensively. This is a team, unlike Detroit, that can roll four lines. This is a team that could put out a third-line guy like Nyquist on the first or second power play unit. For the short term, it's definitely a solid add. Uh, from a Red Wings standpoint, I wouldn't call this return a home run, but fairly decent, I would say. Yeah, I thought Nyquist fair. could have easily garnered a first if someone like Brian Boyle could get a second out of Nashville. Um, I think they could get a second from the conditional third, but I don't think it's possible because they still have to re-sign Eric Carlson. And that's going to be a pretty big payday. On top of that, they also have Joe Pavelski, who is also a pending unrestricted free agent. He's kind of had a resurgence season of sorts, but he's getting up there in age. So even if they don't keep Pavelski, even if they re-sign Carlson and they can't keep Pavelski, could they even keep Gustav Nyquist? In my opinion, there are still a lot of moving pieces to the Sharks team after this year. I think this is a move that signals like Columbus, they're going all in this year. Because with the way the West is right now, this is their best shot to yep. win the Stanley Cup. They might get a young player like Jonathan Dallin from the Canucks and he might turn into something good down the road, but the pieces to win are here right now. The opportunity for them to win is right now this is their one shot to give the san jose fans what they've been waiting for for so many years and if they don't get it done this year i honestly don't know when they will (laughs) chris uh what is your take blistering take by steven yeah <laughs> brutally i know 100% i was just letting it breathe in the air ah you gotta let it just you gotta let it just marinate in exactly, there. exactly. <laughs> here's the thing nyquist is a nice nice he's a nice third line first first powerful unit type board he fits in perfectly with the puck possession and puck containment game that san jose plays but it's really the sad part is as far as far as San Jose, it still comes down to well, damn it, we got to stop somebody defensively. <laughs> um, and, and Nyquist isn't half bad defensively. He's not great by any stretch of the imagination, but he's he's good enough on that third line playing a guy like Joe Thornton who can keep the puck away from just about anybody, other than Yarmir Yager. But that's that's for another time. Uh, but. Bottom line, you have a nice, good 
balance three lines for San Jose. And really, if you include the fourth as well, it's an, it's an excellent line as well. But they have great team balance. It's, it comes down to those two things. You know, is Pavelski a 35-plus guy? That's, that's, like a, that's an interesting question because he was born on July 11th. So, you know, that's something in the CBA. I don't remember a guy being that close to July 1st. Um, I believe it's if you start the season and you're 35, it's a 35-plus deal. Um, so that, yeah, that, guys, that's going to be really intriguing to see what happens there. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking, Pavelski's probably going to top 40 goals this year. I mean, wow. Uh, it, it, he's, he's not going to shoot 21.4% ever again. Yeah. Uh, now, the funny part is this. In his two in his two career years, guys, you know what his shooting percentage was? Eighteen point two and seventeen. So huh. he does this about once every other year. This is the Howard Johnson of baseball, basically, except maybe a little bit more consistent in the off years. Uh, but it, it is fascinating to see how how his numbers have come. In. Look, it, it tie it ties in a little bit with Nyquist because Nyquist and him have already had a little bit of chemistry on on the power play in their limited time together and i'm intrigued to see how that develops as as the playoffs approach and then when you add eric carlson in when he does eventually return from his groin injury uh what will happen there now that's the key too is carlson when carlson comes back does their goaltending get solidified again because we've seen that martin jones can go on a 12 to 15 game run or sometimes a little more, where he looks like a good NHL goaltender. And that's all San Jose needs. They don't need very good. They don't need elite. They just need good enough goaltender. And if they can get that, they'll be fine. If not, Detroit will be smiling because they're doing, you know, you know they'll be just, okay, we'll settle for the picks and that's it. We're going to get more anyway come the summertime. Yeah, I guess the reason why... Detroit uh, like didn't get it first was just because Nyquist is a rental yeah and he had leverage yeah so it's not like uh, and I'm, I'm sure the Sharks were since the Sharks have their own cap situation they may not re-sign him anyways so it's not a guarantee that they're going to re-sign him so that would be my guess in terms of why they didn't get it first there um, had to retain money too. Yeah. Detroit to exactly. make the deal happen. So you knew that was a sign. Hmm, they might not have the money. So right. that's why the condition was attacked sort of as a nudge, nudge, wake, wake. But yeah, we don't expect it. Um, I actually have a hot take for you guys. Um, mm-hmm. I, although I don't know how hot it is. But I don't think Eric Carlson's going to be a shark this uh, next season. Um, it, ju- it doesn't seem like it. He's had some stretches where it seems like it's working out for them, but I just, I just don't know how the the cap number is going to fit. So I don't I don't I just don't see Eric Carlson being on the Sharks um, next season. I mean, we'll see. I, obviously, I could be wrong. There we go. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> um, Let's go to uh, our next trade to talk about, Kevin Hayes. Uh, Speaking of big returns, uh, so Kevin Hayes goes to Winnipeg, uh, and then the Rangers get Brandon Lemieux 
and a 2019 conditional first round pick. Uh, funnily enough, this one is uh, top three uh, lottery protected, which is kind of funny considering Winnipeg's definitely in the playoffs. Um, but uh, if Winnipeg gets a top three pick, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna, and then it goes to the Winnipeg's 2020 first round pick. Um, and then uh, there's also a 2022 conditional fourth round pick. But this only happens if Winnipeg wins the Stanley Cup this year. Um, so uh, that could still happen, obviously. Uh, Brennan Lemieux, is uh, uh, he, he played on the bottom six for Winnipeg for uh, all this year. Um, he still picked up, managed to pick up 11, of 40, in 40, 11 points in 44 games. Uh, he had a goal recently for New York. Uh, Kevin Hayes has been, uh, he had like a three-point night um, in his last game. I know they played today um, in, in uh, Columbus, but um, he, uh, this kind of reminds me a lot of uh, the Paul Stasny to Winnipeg last year, um, where they, you know, not not to knock Brian Little, he's a, he's a good player for sure, but um, he's not your sec he's not a good second line center it seems um, so uh, you get an upgrade in your center line and uh, besides Matt Duchesne uh, Kevin Hayes was the best center available um, so uh, so you got something out of him it is kind of funny though that the Rangers managed to get more out of Kevin Hayes than Zuccarello um, maybe that has something to do with age, or maybe it has something to do with the position, but um, it is kind of interesting to think about that uh, Kevin Hayes got a lot more um, than we all thought um, he would get. So it was a good return for New York. Um, it kind of makes up for the Zuccarello, the poor Zuccarello return. Um, and I, I think this is one of those trades that's going to be good for both teams. Uh, the Rangers get a first-round pick and, a, and a, a prospect that could turn into something. And then the, the Winnipeg Jets get another, like, a center to fill in their top six role. Um, and uh, Kevin Hayes seems to be that kind of guy. So um, let's go to Chris for, for this uh, to start. Look, Kevin Hayes is having a career year contract year of course which helps mm -hmm. one but it's not entirely a fluke this is this is a player that has a lot of talent consistently shoots around 12 13 percent but he actually was a little bit off his career average this year tiny bit i mean it's, it's fractional uh, and he was able to play 19 minutes a night for the rangers and not only handle it but thrive immensely under under the pressure that is the New York, relentless New York media, even on a bad team. Uh, his possession numbers jumped like off the charts this year, which wasn't a, wasn't that much of a surprise until you started looking deeper and looking at the relative numbers and going, oh my God, this is insane. Um, he jumped from basically an average possession player to somebody a six and a half to seven percent above. Now, he was projected at the start of the season to jump about two to three percent, not almost seven. That's 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 significant in, in his evolution as a player, playing two more minutes a night, uh, 
a little bit more power play time. The main knock always on him has been goal score. He did score 20, 25 last year. He's down a little bit this year. Um, some of that's by design. He, he was a little bit, he did become a little bit more of a playmaker this year again. Uh, whereas last year he was asked to shoot more. And I, I absolutely convinced that this is a tech, this is a much younger Paul Stastny uh, in, in the sense that he, he can dominate at times when he wants to. Yeah. But he can also play a little bit better defensively than he's given credit for. Which means Winnipeg just got better. They have a guy that can that can accelerate well, can actually complete tape to tape passes on breakouts, which is something Winnipeg hasn't been able to do in two and a half months. And furthermore, is going to help their beleaguered defense, which by the way is missing three of their top six guys. And the corpse of Tobias Enstrom, which hmm. of course is you know something that they never really replaced. So once you consider all that, you had to expect Winnipeg was going to pay a heavy premium for a guy like Kevin Hayes. He was the second best center on the market. I'd argue he was the top center on the market because of his all-around game. Uh, he actually can contribute on the power play as well. A little, it's a little bit underrated because look, the Rangers are awful in a lot of ways. Uh, but he still had 11 power play points being mostly shuttled on the second power play unit at times for New York uh, in, in favor of Mika Sabinijad, who is a great offensive player, but defensively goes out the lunch early and often. Um, Steven might know that from his early days in Ottawa. Um, yeah. Just a little bit. He still does it. He just doesn't do it quite as often. So you're getting a more consistent guy that has managed to put it together and get off the pot a little bit, literally. Uh, in, the, in the case of Kevin Hayes, but yeah, Winnipeg has a good one. I just don't know if Winnipeg's going to be able to resign him. Um, something tells me he's going to have a very nice run with them. That's going to make NHL executives swoon and pay maybe seven plus million a year for a guy like Hayes. Interesting. Yeah, well, it should be interesting to see how much he garners in the in the free market when he becomes a UFA, or maybe Winnipeg. He, he I mean, he had a three point night last uh, last time, so maybe he'll have. Um, maybe Winnipeg will decide to keep him. We'll see. Uh, Steve, what is your opinion on this? So, given the choice between Mark Stone and Kevin Hayes, this. Especially once they realized that Mark Stone was going to cost them too much. Uh, when you look at Kevin Hayes' stats, um, just to add on to what Chris already said, um, he has a 0.82 points per game ratio. That's uh, near the top 70 in the league. Uh, um, he has 5.65 controlled and uh, controlled zone entries for contest amongst boards. Hey, that's the two-way ability that uh, we've been talking about there. He's the guy that can also move the puck. And like Gustav Nyquist that we just mentioned, he's going to be slotted with some quality talent outside of the first line, probably line two or line three. Um, you, you're right, the goal scoring Chris has been down. He had 25 goals and 44 points last year. He had 42 points in 51 games with the Rangers this year, but only 14 goals. So he's a depth scorer, much like all of 
the other names that Winnipeg was able to acquire. Um, getting Par Lindholm from the Leafs for Nick Rattan, that adds depth. Getting Matt Hendricks from the Wild for a seventh-round pick is one of those great depth moves. They also added Broadhurst, Kiselevich, and Nathan Bullio as depth moves. In my opinion, the Jets have enough talent to make noise in the playoffs. But I don't see any long-term additions here. These are short-term going-for-it additions. Because when it comes to re-signing Patrick Laine, when it comes to re-signing Kyle Connor, I don't think they'll be able to match the kind of money that Kevin Hayes is going to be looking for. Um, and I think we're getting to the stage where the Preds might be getting a bit weaker and where the Western Conference is going to be looking for a new top dog. And Winnipeg will have the pieces to take over that throw. Um, so will it be this year? Will it be next year? We'll have to wait and see. But um, they're certainly up there, and they're doing whatever they can to go for it. From the Rangers' side of things, Brendan Lemieux is not a prospect worth giving up on in the here and now. Uh, like Nick Patan, just didn't have a future with the Jets. Winnipeg's got too many prospects on their hands. Uh, he's become expendable with guys like Jack Roslevic um, starting to pick up the pace, guys like Kyle Connor developing as well. Um, Brendan Lemieux has some skill to his game. He's also got that chippy side of him that makes him tough to play against. He'll get under your skin on the ice. He'll be a thorn on, he'll be a thorn on your side. He'll probably get under your skin even when you're on the bench. Um, so the Rangers are getting that kind of a player. They're also getting a first-round pick, which further helps to rebuild. And they're probably getting it this year because there's no way in hell Winnipeg's missing the playoffs this year. I yeah. would shocked if that happens. And depending on what happens with the McT with the McDonough and Zuccarello trades, they could have as many as four first-round picks this year. And at the very least, they'll have two. And even if those uh, first-round picks, uh, those conditional first-round uh, picks don't pan out, they'll have three second-rounders this year and as few as one. So the Rangers rebuild's looking pretty good for the time being. They get some pieces to help them. And Winnipeg gets uh, a short-term piece to help their win-now mentality. Yeah, uh, it's one of those trades that it seems like it's it's good for both teams. Um, maybe this will be... I remember last year when Stasny was on the Winnipeg... Uh, went, went to Winnipeg, yeah. you know, um, like Line A's numbers shot up. So I wonder if the same effect will happen uh, with Kevin Hayes on there. Although I know, I think Line A's now on the first line... Um, so I, I kind of wonder if they're going to maybe move Line A with uh, Hayes um, pretty soon. We'll see, though. Um, the Wayne Simmons goes to Nashville um, for uh, Ryan Hartman in a 2020 conditional fourth-round pick. Uh, this uh condition is the, the 2020 fourth-round pick will turn into a third-round pick if uh, Nashville wins one round of the uh, in the in the playoffs, um, so that's that could that it's more likely to happen, but we'll see. You never know in the playoffs. Um, Wayne Simmons had uh, 27 points in 62 games for the Flyers. He's played for two games in Nashville, um, hasn't scored yet. Uh, Ryan Hartman uh, has 20 points in 64 games. For Nashville, um, he's played two games for Philly um, and only has one assist 
right now, which is better than nothing, obviously. But um, yeah, this is a. Uh, I think we all knew that Wayne Simmons was going to be shipped out, but um, it seemed like uh, the Flyers kind of got a, a fair amount for like Wayne Simmons because Wayne Simmons isn't what he used to be. Um, he's more of like a third line guy now or fourth line guy, but um, but yeah, this this seems to be a a good trade for Philly in terms of their return because uh, they're also competing for a playoff spot as well. So, um, I don't know. I, I like this more for Philly than I like it for Nashville. Um, let's see here. I think, uh, Steve, we're, we're going to send it back to you. Okay. Uh, so, Wayne Simmons is on the last year of a decent contract from a cap standpoint, but his value is probably going to go up this offseason. And I've heard from hockey pundits uh, and Brett just now, that uh, Wayne Simmons doesn't look like his old self. And the question is, can he return to his old form? And a lot of people are doubting that he can. Um, They've also acquired almost 8 million in cap space combined with a previous deal that they made, Mikael Granlund for Kevin Fiala. So Granlund plus Simmons equals almost $8 million added. So in other words, guys like Wayne Simmons, guys like Brian Boyle, in my eyes, are rental players but for the short term they can cause chaos they are guys that can drive to the net not afraid to get dirty and get under your skin while doing so and when it comes to competing against teams like the winnipeg jets that could be very helpful he's a guy that can help on the power play even if it's with the secondary unit uh, Brian Boyle fits in that category as well. I don't see him getting too many top six minutes given all their talents, either Simmons or Boyle. So uh, Simmons is likely more of a third line grinder type of guy, as Brett said. That's not going to be lighting up too much. But even still, he's eighth amongst NHL forwards in inner slot shots per game. He goes to the net, he's there to get very physical, there to get under your skin. Nashville needs a bit of that grit in order to win the cup this year. From the Flyers' standpoint, Ryan Hartman is a nice addition. I remember last year he got off to a hot start with the Blackhawks and kind of cooled off at that point. Uh, didn't really fit in with the Preds' offense uh, to date this year. He had 10 goals and 20 points in 64 games. But in his first three games with Philly, he has one point, so uh, already slightly better. Um, and when you look at the Flyers as a team, they have a lot of offense to work with too. So I think they're going to provide him with a role that can get his offensive ju- juices flowing while also maintaining his pesky presence on the ice that can really bother opposing skaters. And stop uh, stop me if you think this is ridiculous. I think he could become a younger version of Wayne Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> so while this might be a short-term game for the Preds, I think it's a long-term game for the Flyers. Yeah, that's that's certainly possible. Uh, Chris, what is your take? It's kind of sad that Wayne Simmons is sort of aged before our eyes. Now, now part of that is the hip and groin injuries that he suffered through, not only uh, a little bit last year, but then this year as well. Uh, one by itself is not troubling. However, having both hip and groin issues at almost 31, is definitely a red flag. Uh, that, 
that will drop his value a little bit when it comes to free agency. He'll, he'll still be sought after. It just won't be quite the same. He's definitely slower than he was already, which he wasn't all that fast to begin with, to be honest. Uh, but that being said, he can still cause just enough havoc to drive opponents nuts, i.e. that inevitable second-round class between the National Predators and the Winnipeg Jets, which we all know is going to happen. And by the way, I'll have my popcorn ready for, for those 8.30 and 9 o'clock starts uh, come, come about uh, the third or fourth week of April. Now, the key, the key in the deal is, is actually Ryan Hartman and how he transitions to Philadelphia. Uh, Hartman, Hartman's actually a very good player who unfortunately has been kind of blackballed as this sort of pest uh, even even in his days in Chicago. Uh, still young, reasonably young enough at the tender young age of 24. And could still be this guy that's a 40-point player in the league. It's not it's not out of the realm of possibility considering look, his first year he had 30 he had 31 points. It's it's not, you know, it's not a com first full year 31 points is not terrible. 31 in Chicago. He could hit 40 on the right team, and Philadelphia would be that, that type of team. Look, his career high in minutes is still under 14 anywhere. If he sniffs anything near a second-line role with Philadelphia, which could be possible in time, uh, or even you know 15 minutes a night, let's say, this is a win for Philadelphia. Um, not a huge win, but it's a slight win none, nonetheless. Toss in the conditional pick, and it makes it even, even sweeter for, for Philly, and they save a little bit of money as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think Ryan Hartman has the certainly the potential to be a Wayne Simmons type um, of player, um, and, and Wayne Simmons hasn't been what he used to be. I have a feeling that, like, there's gonna be some team that's gonna like re-sign like or it's gonna sign Wayne Simmons to a large contract more than he's worth. Um, it seems like uh, teams never really learn. Like it, it's kind of like he reminds me a lot like a David Backus situation or um, a uh, Milan Lucic type thing where uh, teams are going to try to. Um, um, you know, uh, because the, they take more of a bounty on those type of, like, hard-nosed type players, but um, yeah. they're, they're not, they tend to dwindle fast um, towards the end of their career. Um, let's go to the next trade here, which is uh, Brandon Montour to the Buffalo Sabres. Um, this trade happened a couple uh, like just before, um, it, it was it was, it was around Sunday, the same yeah. time, maybe a couple hours before the the Nyquist trade happened, or it was yeah. the same time. Yeah, it was something evening, like actually. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's Brandon Montour to the Sabers. Uh, Brandon Gould go Goulet, I think is his, how you pronounce it. Uh, he goes to the Ducks, and it's a tw also a 2019 conditional first round pick, which is St. Louis's pick. Um, however, since Buffalo has three first-round picks, 
Um, the draft pick will come from either San Jose or St. Louis uh, that are both owned by Buffalo uh, based on the final order of the selection in the 2019 NHL draft. So I think Buffalo has a choice on which one, um, if it's St. Louis or San Jose, I'd imagine uh, they're going to give them whichever uh, team does better come playoff time, but we'll see. Um, yeah, this is, uh, Brandon Montour is a pretty good player, um, defensively speaking. He, uh, he does have 25 points for the Ducks. I mean, he has two points for, in three games for the Sabres. Um, so, uh, so there's that. Goulet could be something. It seems like the Sabres kind of given up for him, but, um, but he is, uh, he could be a, an NHL player in a couple of years. Um, given time. So, uh, yeah, what, what do you think of this trade, uh, Chris? Buffalo's not going to like what I'm about to say. <laughs> I have They're a feeling I know what you're going to say, but yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, most Buffalo fans know that Phil Housley is not a very good head coach. Yeah. He's a nice assistant coach. He's not a very good head coach. And ironically, he's not apparently not very good at assessing his own defensive talent. Lawrence Pilou, notwithstanding, who is sitting in a press box at times and playing in the AHL when he should be up in the NHL with Rasmus Dahlin. Now, that being said, look, one of the things with Gouli that's been a concern is consistency. Well, he's not even 22 yet, for one. That, that, that's kind of a big part in this. And, look, Anaheim so far has played him in pretty pretty big minutes, guys, and his, particularly his last game against Vegas. And, yeah, he was a minus two, but neither goal, neither goal he was on the ice for, honestly, was really his fault. So that's why I don't like to look at plus minus and dwell on it too much, because if you look at Wade Simmons, you, you run. Um, immediately go what is uh, what is Nashville thinking but I like his offensive I like his offensive potential I like the way he skates I think he's a better skater than Montour is uh, possession wise he's a little bit better than Mont Montour at this early early stage of, of you know his career is he going to be deployed a lot more in the offensive zone by Anaheim? Yes, because they desperately need a guy that can move the puck with controlled entries. And that's something that really can do. Now, back to Montour. Never mind the first round pick that that Anaheim gets, which will be between 20 and 31, guys. That, that's, a, that's a given at this point. Um, Buffalo is not going to... Uh, have to worry about giving up somebody in the top 20, thankfully. It'll probably be 20 and 31 in, in, in that range. Mont, my problem with Montour is his head, quite simply. He checks out a lot in games, which, I mean, is terrible to say about a guy that's not even 25 yet. He's still young himself, but there is something to the fact that Anaheim actually gave up on him. His goals above replacement among the six Anaheim defensemen that, that have started the most time this year was fit. Even behind Cam Fowler, who has been an albatross defensively for Anaheim, 
in just about every game he's played. That's not good. That's not just something that you can dismiss instantly. He had an excellent year last year. He has had a completely horrific year defensively this season. So which which mantor are you getting? Or are you getting if you're Buffalo? Is the biggest question of all here, and kind of the centerpiece of this deal in a sense is, well, what am I getting if I'm Buffalo? And considering the fact that. Phil Housley has done such a wonderful job coaching this team defensively, almost to the point where Rasmus Ristolainen was nearly dealt to Tampa Bay, but the trade was nixed at the last minute. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Bob Murray might have gotten one over on Jason Botterill on this one. Interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of like Brandon Montour more than Goulet, but, um, I mean, maybe you like him more. I, I guess I haven't seen him play in the AHL, but um, I guess there it's something that time will tell. We'll see. Uh, Steve, what what who who do you have in, in this trade? Well, it's, I think me and Chris are on polar opposites for the first time in this yeah. podcast. Um, happen. <laughs> so... So, uh, speaking of Jason Bottrell, um, he had this to say about Brandon Montour. He says, it's so difficult to create offense off the rush. Here's a player with that ability to create opportunities, sheer speed, ability to get the puck out of his zone, create chances. And when you take a look at controlled zone entries by NHL defensemen per game this year, Roman Yossi's tops on the list with four per game. Eric Carlson, Nick Levy, and Thomas Shabbat go two, three, four. Brandon Montour is fifth with an average of 2.2 per game. Um, and I know that we kind of knock on the Sabres and their deep, and how their offense hasn't been clutch or whether or not their goaltending is up to snuff. But their defense is still a question mark, even with Dallin and Ristolainen on the back end. That's a young top two. And Bogosian and Scandella leave a little bit to be desired. So Brandon Montour is a guy that could possibly complement that group of defensemen he makes 3.525 million a year from now so he's still got a bit of term after this year and he will still be an rfa at that point even when his contract's up so i think the sabers are in a slightly better position right now to contend but they need to add some more pieces before i'm really intimidated by them so it this isn't the final deal that Botterill's going to make to improve this team. He still needs to do more. From a Ducks standpoint, this trade basically signals that a slight transformation is underway. Because you still have Josh Manson, you still have Ampus Lindholm, you still have Cam Fowler on the back end, you still have Ricard Raquel leading the way offensively, and you still have John Gibson, who, when healthy and not overworked, is a very good goaltender. But when you think about the core of this group, and we've mentioned it on the podcast many, many times. This group is fragile, and it's getting old. They're basically like the LA Kings, where time is catching up with them. Uh, I would say Brendan Gould, and at first, is a decent haul for Brandon Montour, but it's the start of a very long summer for Bob Murray, and we're going to see a lot more pieces heading out that door, I feel like. Uh, by the way, speaking of the Sabres, they have now gone... 33 games without back-to-back -back wins um, a couple of years ago um, when the Sabres were really bad. Um, so that was like around when they were tanking for McDavid or Eichel. 
they uh, they went 31 games. So uh, <laughs> they're slipping this year. It seems ever since that 10 game winning streak, they uh, they have failed to uh, pick up where they left off there. But um, which is partially why I can see those either the 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 pick they got from Ryan O'Reilly or the pick they got from Evander Kane yeah. to Anaheim because if they're not making the playoffs and that turns into a lottery pick and they give that to Anaheim, Bob Murray is laughing to the bank. Oh, right, right. So that that's probably the main reason why they didn't give uh, them the, the first, their, their natural yeah, pick. Their, their original but, first, exactly. Yeah, they gave so another first that they had. It would be, I feel like a lot of teams are are learning from that whole Duchesne type thing is to not to not give them your or at least lottery protect your your pick um, yeah. that you trade uh, and then uh, this this trade uh, goes near to uh, Chris's heart here because and Columbus gets another rental player um, in Keith Kincaid. Um, they the Devils only get back a 2022 fifth round pick. Um, this uh, this kind of like when you look at I mean Kin- Kincaid pretty much uh, made forced the Devils into the playoffs last year, but uh, this year he uh, has not been great. Uh, that's an understatement, I know, but uh, he has an 8.91 save percentage and a 3.36 GAA I'm in 41 games um, so yeah for New Jersey he hasn't played yet for Columbus um, yeah this was a strange move for Columbus because uh, Corpus Allo, I know Bob Bobrovsky hasn't been what he has been and you can like leave him um, and he's, he could be gone um, this summer as well but um, it seems like Corpusalo had been decent when he was playing, so um, it's kind of like I'm not sure if you would rather have Kincaid or Corpusalo. Um, so at least the Devils get something out of Kincaid, um, and they can build around Mackenzie Blackwood, um, and ha- or even have a tandem of Schneider and Blackwood in the future. Since this is, I know you went first the last time, but. Uh, since this is your team or your team is involved, I'm going to throw it to you, Chris, first. Sorry, Steve. Yeah. All right. All right. The, pro- the problem became like Columbus. And if you look at their now three goalies that they have, it's the same kind of breakdowns with positioning as far as Bobrovsky, Corpusalo, and ironically, Kincaid. Go figure. Uh, a good example of this is Bobrovsky pitching back-to-back shutouts on back-to-back nights against San Jose and Ottawa. Now, yeah, I know the Ottawa one is not significant, but the one against San Jose was, and of course the thought process was before the deadline, hey, Columbus is starting to get hot, we're going to make these moves, etc. Well, since then, Bobrovsky has given up 10 goals, and actually 11 goals in three starts. He was pulled against Edmonton of all freaking teams on Saturday. I know. Okay, people don't understand this. Now, two of the four goals were, were, at least in my opinion, stoppable, to say the least. Now, if, if you think about this, and this is crazy, but true, 
But Borowski's career actually is more of a roller coaster than people think. It is something to look at and kind of behold. But even last year when he was pretty good, he also could be really awful at times. Okay, for perspective, in 65 starts last year, guys, he had 10 really bad starts. All that simply means is he had a save percentage below 850 in 10 starts. So you figure how good he was in those other starts, somewhere over 935, 940, and then he had 10 starts where he was awful. Okay, this year in just 48 starts, he has 11 already. So you figure that throws your goal saved above average completely to pot. It does. It's a minus five this year, despite a lot of the good things that he's done. He has five shutouts. But this is not the first time that this has happened to him. This happened just three seasons ago. Go figure. When Borowski had the same kind of problems, the same kind of struggles, and there was questions about him, you know, that he might get traded in the summer, et cetera. And he responded to that with his second Vesna and nearly won the Hart Trophy a year later. So this is something that he's done before. Oh, by the way, in Philly, he did the same thing. Got tr- Remember, he went to Columbus in the trade and won the, yeah, get this, the Vesna. Yeah. This has become sort of a pattern with Bobrovsky where he has two really good years and then he kind of just drops. This year, he dropped very quickly. And it has a lot to do with his groin and his positioning. Those two things have gone to pot. It is why Manny Legacy is sitting there literally for an entire week with Kincaid to go over all his bad habits because there are so many that you can't even list them. And it's not coaching. It's in his head. It's been in his head all along. It's why Kincaid was an average goaltender to begin with, even all the way back when he was at Union College. It's why he wasn't drafted in the NHL, ironically. And so the fact that, you know, Kincaid was basically a throw-in, the fact that they could get more than a bag of pucks for him, New Jersey has to consider this a win because they're obviously making the way for Black, Mackenzie Blackwood to play more, and they had to. Oh, yeah. uh, Blackwood, Blackman made a meteoric rise from basically a guy that couldn't move, excuse my language, couldn't move lateral for shit a year ago. And it's true. It was his number one knock on him in prospect camps. Once he was down, he could not move laterally. It was like a, like a swath trying to get up out of quicksand. It wasn't <laughs> happening. I like that analogy. <laughs> and this year he's made huge strides with goaltending co- coaches in in Binghamton. He worked with Scott Clemenson. Clemenson, bad goalie, good coach. Um, Clemenson, ironically, like Clem- Kincaid, had one glorious run, and that was it. It's, it. it's funny. There's a lot of similarities with him and Kincaid. The difference is Clemenson has a much better attitude, which I'm – I'm sure it will go over well in Columbus in his limited time there. I don't, I don't know what will happen because people forget that Kincaid will be 30 in the summer. I don't know what team he may catch on to at this point after having this bad of a flame out of the season. Uh, it, it, it will be interesting. He has to get into, into some games somehow for, for Columbus to even have 
a snowball's chance of carrying value into next year. Right now, honestly, he's just insurance and little else, and that bodes very poorly for him. Yeah. Steve, what is your take on this trade? So before I get to my take on this, what do you mean, Chris, when you say bad attitude with Kincaid? Isn't that good? And if so, what do you mean by bad attitude? Okay. Now, to the press itself, Kincaid was very professional. To most of the press. To some of the press and a lot of the fans, Kincaid was a little bit fragile. He would block a lot of people on Twitter when their opinion didn't agree with him. And it kind of mushroomed to the point where you could see it on the ice. There were a couple incidents on the ice where he'd either shake his head or he'd wag his finger at the coaches. Okay, he didn't sit there like Jonathan Quick did the other day and basically give a nice F you to Willie Desjardins. But it was along those lines, and it culminated about a week before the trade deadline after another bad start by Kincaid against, I think it was actually the game in Pittsburgh, against Pittsburgh. It was his last start where he said, you know, I was a victim of some bad bounces. And then they literally turned right to Coach Hines, which was about two locker stalls away from him, and asked the same question. And he's like, no, I didn't think those were bad bounces. You'll have to ask Keith about that. And that's when you knew. That's when you knew, basically, at that point, anybody that is somewhat in the media or has a little bit of, like, a give or take of how the media works, you know that when a coach says something like that, their confidence is shot and it's done. In so many words, you could tell that if we can't get anything for him, we're just going to dump him off somewhere. And that's basically what the Devils did. You're trading for a draft pick that doesn't, in a draft that doesn't happen for three years. And a fifth-round pick at that, too. Right. I mean, it's not even like it's like a second or third round. It's a mid to late round pick in the 2022 draft. I mean, the Rangers conditional on the one trade was a fourth. Yeah. So you have to think of it in that context. They were just going to get anything which was better than nothing. And okay. that's what I mean. That's what I mean by attitude, Stephen. It wasn't, it wasn't so much his attitude with, say, the press and even most people. It was just a segment of the Devils fan base, which can be bipolar and just infuriating in its own right. Um, but there's a way to act in a time and place. And I think Kincaid, because of the playoff run last year, didn't know how to handle the adversity this year. Yeah, that's a good point. And and the stats back it up because among 51 qualified goalies, he ranks last in yep. safe percentage and goals saved above average. Uh, more than one goal relative to actually. Uh, so this year, President Kincaid. Um, but Columbus is hoping because last year when Schneider was struggling, Keith Kincaid, outside of Terry Hall, uh, outside of uh, Taylor Hall, single-handedly helped New Jersey to a playoff berth. He went 
26, 10, and 3 with a 913 save percentage in 38 starts, 41 games that year. Um, so Columbus is hoping, hey, you know, maybe, you know, he showed signs that he can return to form for us. And, and, and that certainly that attitude uh, analogy that uh, you went on certainly adds a little bit of hint of doubt that, okay, maybe he can't do it, but is he a better option than Corpus Salo? Yeah, I would say right now he is because Corpus Salo is a young goaltender that's got some stuff to work out. He can still be a valuable goaltender in this league. But we are talking about, again, a Columbus Blue Jackets team that doesn't, that isn't eager to wait until next year. They're going all in right now. All the pieces are in place right now to go on a playoff run this year. And the rest is up in the year after that. And if you're Torts and if you're the players, you know darn well what's at stake here. And and I'm looking at how strong the Metro is, how strong the wildcard race is compared to the West. The Pens, Hurricanes, and Canadians are all on your tails, and you will have to play catch-up with them if you're behind the eight ball. And one of those four teams, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Carolina, and Montreal, are probably going to miss the playoffs. So Columbus, Columbus might look like idiots if yeah. this doesn't work out. It's very possible that they could miss out, as both of you guys have been saying. Um, yeah, as it stands, Columbus is a point out of the playoffs right now. Um, they have uh, 75, or oh, two points, sorry. Uh, Columbus has 75 points, and Montreal has, who has the second wild card currently, um, they have 77 points. Um, Carolina would be the third Metropolitan Division team at the moment. Uh, they have 78 points, so they have three points uh, behind them. So it is very possible that Columbus uh, could miss the playoffs, even with all these rentals that they got. Um, they they could very well be like the laughing stock of the NHL taking over Edmonton and Ottawa uh, crown of, of that. No, 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 no. No, no one's no, touching. No. No. All right, no fine. Touch no one's touching Ottawa's crowd. Fine, Ottawa's fine. Crowd. Well, that's Ottawa's crowd for a couple of years at least. But I, I'm just saying that, they like they they went out. all in and then oh, yeah. they missed yeah. the playoffs. Then that's, oh, they're up there. You know, I, yeah. All right, fine, fine. Absolutely not. Fine, no fine. All right, all right. But you're you're right. They they will look ridiculous. If yeah. This blows up in their face. They absolutely will. Okay. Uh, I guess that's fair. It's not like it's not like they have a bad owner or anything like that. So yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah. Um, let's go. Uh, so I have uh, a couple of minor trades that we'll get into um, here, but I figure they're worth mentioning. Um, I don't want to spend so much time that we have been already for all the other trades that we just talked about, but. Uh, so yeah, if you guys have any thoughts, you can when I throw it to you, feel free to pass if you if you if you don't have a ton to say. Um, okay. So uh, the first one is a uh, Derek Broussard and a 2026 conditional uh, goes to Colorado. Uh, Florida Panthers get a 2023rd round pick. The conditional for that sixth round pick. Um, is if Broussard signs an extension um, with Colorado, no pick is transferred. Um, so that's an interesting wrinkle. Um, yeah, so let, let's go to Steve. Uh, do you have anything on this? 
Well, uh, in regards to this trade, I mean, before he was traded to Florida, Broussard had 62 shots on goal in 40 games on a star-studded Penguins team, which for a guy like Derek, uh, and considering what he put up uh, the years before, is not really inspiring. Um, so when he goes from a team like Florida, who probably was going to trade him anyway, to a team like Colorado that has death problems, it's one of those things that could go either way. He could be on a star-studded abs team um and things don't work out or he could be a stunning revelation and he fits in well with them but uh this was uh one of those low-risk gambles that colorado decided was worth taking a chance on and um florida gets a third round pick out of a guy they're probably going to trade so i'd say short-term win-win for both teams chris Simply, Broussard is a defensive liability and aging rapidly before our eyes. Yeah. Uh, That's the the unfortunate part with him. So you have to shelter his minutes. You can't play more than 15 minutes a night. And you might eventually have to play him a little bit more on the power play for Colorado, at least on the second unit. Yeah. Um, You know, he he fits in decently enough as a a middle six stopgap until next season when... Obviously, Colorado gets some nice, shiny number one draft pick. <laughs> yeah, that's... Or, a, sorry. Oh, go ahead, sorry. What were you saying? That's really all you can say about it. They're, they're yeah. just waiting until next year. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I, I mean, I think it, it is better than what they have other than the, the top line on, on Colorado. But, yeah, you're right. I don't know if it's, like, so impressive here. Uh, speaking of unimpressive, uh, Erica Branson goes to Pittsburgh, um, and Tanner Pearson goes to Vancouver. It's amazing that, uh, Vancouver was even able to get anything out of good Branson. Um, but it turns out that this might be because, uh, it seems like, we'll talk about this more, uh, tomorrow. Um, but, uh, Chris Letang, uh, seems to be out long-term, um, his annual injury. Uh, that always happens every season. But, uh, yeah, any any thoughts on this trade, Chris? At least a little. I mean, look, Pittsburgh is so banged up defensively that they needed to bring in a guy like Capranza. That, that That's all that anybody needs to know about how desperate they are. Uh, yeah. The, the desperate straits. And the irony is I don't know when the bubble's going to burst because he was so horrific in Vancouver they were happy to get rid of him. Um, but... Amusingly enough, in his first two games in Pittsburgh, he's been the exact opposite, which is, is it's nuts. I don't know how long this will last, or maybe, for all we know, Gabranson just got tired of playing in Vancouver yeah. and he- hearing the Possible. negative press. But for whatever reason, at least, look, two games is a, a minute, extremely small sample size, uh, but he's looked nothing like he did the last couple seasons in, in you know, Vancouver. So, you know, it's one of those things where, hey, to see what happens, but at least for right now, he's playing about 20 minutes a night, and he looks awfully darn good. So, if you're Pittsburgh, you're hoping this, you know, fingers crossed continues, but don't hold your breath. Right. I mean, uh, Pittsburgh does have a habit of getting bad defensemen and then turning them into good defensemen, uh, mainly Justin Schultz and Jamie Alexiak, but... Um, yeah, maybe the same thing will happen to Good Branson. Uh, Steve, do you have anything? 
was, uh, uh, we uh, watched this uh, YouTuber's uh, reaction videos. I don't know if you've heard of him, uh, Chris, uh, called Urinating Tree. Yeah. And he's a Penguins fan. And I was watching a oh, clip yeah. of his live stream going ballistic about how bad the Capranson trade was. Uh, in the short term, like, he was arguing that Pitts have been 2016 and 2018 based on speed, not been. And he also mentioned his numbers are kind of the worst in the NHL. At, and they have Mata for three more years. They have Jack Johnson for another four years. Um, outside of Chris Letang, who's prone to injury, it's tough to say what this Penguins defense is. And on top of that, Gabranson has two more years at $4 million. So I think it's the longer term that I'm concerned with this deal if I'm Pittsburgh, not the short term. From a Canucks standpoint, uh, they shed some cap that could be used to keep Alex Sedler for a couple more years. They also have Brock Besser to pay after the season's over, which, hey, is probably going to be a lot. And um, a guy named Elias Peterson, with the with the numbers he's been able to post as a rookie, he's probably going to get big a couple of years when his up. They also get a guy like Tanner Pearson that could have potential six, uh, um, which, of course, remains to be seen because, you know, he didn't have a good year with the Kings didn't really fit in well after his first couple games to the Penguins. So maybe his time's running out a little bit. But I think for Tanner Pearson, the Penguins weren't willing to wait for him to find his game. The Canucks obviously aren't expected to win anytime soon. So I think they're more likely to stay patient with him, stay the course and see what he's got. So for him in Vancouver, but I think it's a win for the Canucks because a they get a, they get rid of Gabranson and some cap space and maybe they take a chance on Tanner Pearson and he turns into something. Uh, so this next trade is going to be kind of interesting uh, because we have me a Bruins fan and then we have Chris who's a New Jersey Devils fan. So I'm curious to see our take from both sides of this, but. Uh, Marcus Johansson goes to Boston um, in a 2019 second and a 2024 to New Jersey. Uh, this is also kind of um, a little, I don't know if ironic is the, the right term, but if you remember last year, um, Brad Marchand unintentionally, intentionally uh, concussed Marcus Johansson, um, and then Johansson basically called uh, Marchand like, a classless person um, and now they're teammates which is it's kind of funny um, so uh, so that that's the uh, it, it must be pretty awkward for them apparently Brad Marchand called him up apologize or like just uh, welcome him to the team when uh, when this trade happened so I, I assume everything's settled and Johansson said that he's uh, they settled everything afterwards but it is kind of it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of uh, Brandon um, Brandon Manning going to Edmonton after oh, yeah. he uh, injured um, McDavid um, uh, earlier this year in that trade. But uh, Marcus Johansson had like uh, when he was on the Devils, he had a couple of recently he had a couple of uh, points where he had a or a couple of games where he had like multiple points. Um, so it seemed like he was picking up, and um, obviously this isn't like a Mark Stone or 
uh, Kevin Hayes or Ryan Dezingle, but um, which is what I wanted the Bruins to take, even Gustav Nyquist. But um, you know, I'm I'm fine with this trade. I do think the Bruins could have gotten more, but um, again, I don't. I think the Bruins learned from the the Rick Nash trade, where they didn't want uh, like you know to trade their first round pick again uh, for a rental. So they, uh, you know, and the two biggest needs are like uh, another line mate on our second line and the uh, and a third uh, line center, and they're able to fill that with Johansson and uh, Charlie Coyle, and and you can just move to Brusque, who now plays right wing now. So, um, so I I, I kind of I want to see how it goes. I like what I've seen of him, um, but I know that. Uh, there could have been more out of uh, that Boston could have had. Uh, Chris, uh, what is your take on this trade from the the other side of this uh, trade? The Devils actually pretty much got about as much out of a you know Hampton trade as they possibly could. Yep. Considering that what they gave up to get him in the first place, first place, and it's pretty much even what they gave Boston. In the sense of a 2024 round pick is like a third because, as most people are realizing, the 2020 draft is stocked full of depth, um, and not just Alex Lafreniere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yes, I've already heard the Ottawa campaign during 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 the for Lafreniere um, as a, a very viable hashtag. <laughs> yeah, well, probably, but. Uh get selected first overall yeah we'll see it, it'll be interesting to see, yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens but um, but Johansson's value peak when he had that you know nice stretch towards towards the you know trade deadline had you know big performance against Pittsburgh and Santa's you know Pittsburgh in particular which necessitated hmm, well we can get maximum value he got two points on each shot on goal uh, um, we might be able to get that you know a nice second round pick from Boston or, or another team, uh, and then it turned into something more. They got a second and then the 2024th as well, uh, which is an excellent return for a player that had just 28 points in 51 games. Uh, is a little bit injury prone. Yeah. And can go on cold streaks because often his offense can disappear because he is a little bit reliant on other forwards and a little bit power play reliant which was his knock in Washington ironically that he, he rode the coattails uh, of the Washington power play which was somewhat true and, and somewhat false uh, at, the, at the same time um, the, the funny part is in New Jersey power play points wise he had a third of his points on the power play um, which is you know it's, it's okay uh, it's, you know right around and his shooting percentage, actually his sh- shot volume went up in New Jersey uh, this year, which was a positive sign. And maybe going forward, that's something that will happen in Boston. I don't know yet, honestly, Brett. Um, okay. from, from what I saw last night, or i.e. the paint dry bowl, um, <laughs> particularly the last 45, 50 minutes of that game was just awful to watch for anybody. Yeah, it was pretty. Boring. I wouldn't base it off. I wouldn't base it off last, last night at all. Okay. Um, Good to I, know. I, I, I would say give it a little. Realistically, 
give Johansson a little bit of time to get into a settled role. He's going to probably play right around 15 minutes a night for Boston, or at least that's what um, Cassidy had said to some of the Boston media uh, going forward. And that's about the right amount of time for him. He'll be yeah. employed more in the offensive zone a little bit. Um, don't, don't look at some of the early numbers and say, oh, my God, he's going to be employed 80% of the time in the offensive zone. No, 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 no nothing like that. Um, but something similar to what he was in Washington around 55, 57%. And, okay. Uh, it, it, he's a good, he's That's not terrible. To be a, <laughs> he's going to be a nice pickup and provide nice possession numbers yep. uh, in, in particular for Boston. And they need that right now. You know, obviously not the uncertainty with the Pasternak touring ligament in the thumb. I'm not supposed to say that. Um, yeah, it's a torn ligament. Um, that's why you had to have surgery for it. Kids, don't 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 drink and hold your beer. Uh, it's it's ugly. Um, <laughs> but all, all kidding, all kidding aside, just don't drink beer at all. Yeah, that's uh, the. No, no, you can't do that. You have to drink. <laughs> Yeah. It is weird that he's at, he's now going to be out four weeks all because he drank. Um, there yeah, has to be something. Look, you know. look, look, look. I mean, Corey Crawford missed four weeks because he slipped at a concert. Yeah, that's I a mean, good point. He was, because he was a little inebriated and he missed a step. Yeah. I mean, these are things. That, I mean, look, my classic one is from baseball. Bobby Hayden nearly sliced his fingers off yeah. with hedge clippers instead of hiring somebody. You know, he tried to do it himself. I mean, these are things that just happen. As long as, as long as he's back by playoffs, I'm, I'm okay with it. But he will, he will. It is definitely, and and this, uh, this brief uh, point streak has definitely helped my, my mood a bit. But it's still like, uh, what, what's going on? But yeah, anyways, (laughs) we're getting a little bit off topic. It's a good, it's a good trade. It's a good trade that Boston needed to make, and it's a good trade for New Jersey. They get the return that they needed, probably a good bit more than they were expecting, because I don't think they intended on signing uh, Johansson in in the off season. Yeah, their fear was that he would probably get five million plus on the open market because of his potential. Somebody was going to pay him. Yeah. You know, he is, he is 28, so he's not terribly old, thankfully. But you did mention that he did, he did miss half the season last year um, yeah, due to he's, injury. He's, he's missed significant time. There's and he's missed a couple of uh, games this year for New Jersey as well, so it's not like, it's not. yeah, he's healthy. Um, Steve, do you have anything to add on to this? Yeah, well, not, not too much, but a little bit. Um, okay. Let, let, let's be clear, the Devils don't get this return if he's not at a point-per-game pace in the last month or yep, so. for sure. Uh, he's, he's still near the NHL's top 70 amongst forwards in offensive zone, high possession per game, that's 37 seconds. Uh, he also has uh, he also averages 4.40 controlled entries per game. Uh, one of those silent acquisitions that could really pay huge dividends for the team that gets them. And if the Bruins wanted to get by Tampa or Toronto, they needed depth scoring. And obviously giving up some futures is tough to do, but they didn't give up a roster play to do it. They gave up a second and a fourth. I think if I'm Boston, for now, I'm okay with it. And if I'm New Jersey, I'm happy that uh, I got some futures out of this trade. And and you're right. I think with Marcus Johansson, he has the talent, but he's been terribly unlucky due to injuries. And paying a guy $5 million per year that hasn't really done much for you for reasons beyond his control... Um, it wouldn't sit well with me if I was Ray Shero, so 
Um, I think getting a second and a fourth for Marcus Johansson was the right call to make if I'm New Jersey. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I think both teams won this trade for various reasons. Uh, this this uh, trade I mostly put up here just because uh, we do have Chris on the line, who's also, you know, as, as we've established, he's a New Jersey uh, fan. So uh, Ben Lovejoy goes to Dallas. Uh, Connor Carrick and a 2019 third goes to New Jersey. Uh, do you like this return, Chris? Ray Shearer was a goddamn wizard when it comes to <laughs> I mean, I, I, I sat there and I almost fell over. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, we, we okay we traded Ben Lovejoy. All right, what did we get? We get a what? A mid round pick? Maybe something. Okay, that's that's these. Wait, we got Connor Carrick too. Holy crap, this is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, Carrick had a nice start for for Dallas early in the season and then got injured and completely vanished. Uh, basically, Jim Montgomery just was like, nope, not to blame. That was it. I mean, literally, it was it was that simple. For whatever reason, whatever reason he fell out of favor, I don't know. And most people from Dallas didn't seem to, to know as well. Uh, but he was a nice, he was a nice third-pairing plug guy and you know played pretty decently well enough for them and then just said poof that was it um you know his numbers are decent they're nothing great but for some reason goalies save a lot of shots when he's on the ice at least you know for most of his career Uh, and especially this year with with the devils for some for some reason the first four games it's been like magic or something I don't know how to explain these small sample sizes, but hey, you know, often what we're, what we're here to try and do anyway. Right. Um, but the fact that they got, he got a third and he got a decent third pairing, even a six-seven defensive guy uh, for Lovejoy is an excellent return for a team that is trying to stockpile draft picks. Whether they're going to go for it this summer and try to acquire somebody, offer sheet somebody. Etc. Etc. Is anyone's guess, but at least now, Shero and the Devils are in a position to do something that they clearly didn't feel like they needed to do last year. Uh, so I'm looking here on both of Lovejoy and Carrick's stats here, and they both have two assists in four games. Yeah, go figure. Yeah, it's also interesting because they they both seem to be more defensive type players, and it does seem like. Connor Carrick is a better defensive player, so I don't know. Uh, I don't, yeah, again, it does. Now that I look at it, it yeah, I don't know why Dallas Lovejoy's did that. The better penalty killer, but Carrick's the better better defenseman. Overall. Okay. That so you figure sense. if a team takes an average of ten penalty minutes a game, Lovejoy is really good in those ten minutes. Right. How good is he in the other? You know, however many. Yeah. That's, that's what you kind of have to ba- at least balance it with a little bit. So. It's it's really quite a quite a nice it's a it's a little win. Yeah. It's it's something that hey we got rid of such and such guy for a younger defenseman and we'll see what he can do. Uh, Steve, do you have anything or? Uh, well, Ben Lovejoy is one of those guys when you know he's kind of used sparingly. He doesn't even average 18 minutes per game. Doesn't even sit in the NHL's top 200 in average ice time per contest. But he averages 1.6 stick checks per game in the defensive zone, which is 27th in the league, which is, you know, something. 
And he also averages 1.6 block shots per game. That's 67th in the NHL. So decent short-term pickup for Dallas. They don't have Mark Bethoff for the rest of the year because injuries. So Ben Lovejoy fills the void, and Devils get some futures. So short-term game for both sides. Potentially more on the long-term side if uh, for New Jersey if uh, Carrick and that third-round pick turn out to be something. Uh, Adam McQuaid goes to Columbus. Um, this is a, yet another rental uh, for Columbus. Um, and New, New York gets um, a, a Julius Bergman, who they previously got um, in another deal, I think. Uh, a 2019 fourth and a 2019 seventh. Um, I love Adam McQuaid, but that's a lot for uh, that's a lot to get back uh, uh, on uh, New York side there. Um, but uh, so I don't know. I, I know he's a rental, so um, it's interesting, and he's 32 years old. Um, but it's it seems like that's a that's a hefty price to get uh, Adam McQuaid there. Um, just because you have two draft picks and uh, a prospect um, who all couldn't be, like, they all, I guess, all in all, they may not be something, but at least it's, like, that's three assets that uh, New York now has. Um, Steve, let's take it to you. We, we've gone to Chris a couple times. <laughs> well, um, in case you probably don't recall, Daniel Albertson and Mark Stone were drafted outside of the three rounds so yeah, yeah sure. uh, that could obviously turn out to be a good pick if um you know, draft Rangers, well if yeah. the rangers draft well um for the short term cbj going for some defensive depth here um you look at uh, mcquade's even strength inner slot shot differential it's at 54.3 percent which is in the nhl's top 50 averages 2.1 shots blocked per game this year, 12th amongst defensemen. Um, so, again, decent return from McQuaid in the short term for Columbus. Uh, Julius Bergman, you're right. He has been traded before two separate occasions in the past year, as a matter of fact. He went from San Jose to Ottawa in the Mike Oh, uh, that's why. Okay. Ottawa to Columbus, yep. Yeah, in the Duchesne trade, yep. He went from Ottawa to Columbus. Or uh, uh, from Columbus to Ottawa. Uh, and now he's... That's why that name sounded familiar. I got right the first time. Yeah. So, San Jose to Ottawa, Ottawa to Columbus, and now from Columbus to the Rangers. Um, maybe he's got a future uh, for the Rangers, which could hurt Columbus down the road, and another two draft picks that Columbus won't be able to use to keep their prospect pool intact. So, again, it's it just adds to the risky gamble that the Blue Jackets are making, and it's... Gonna be like I said, absolutely ridiculous if it blows up in their face. Yeah, uh, Chris, you have anything? Yeah, they, I mean they've set themselves back. You know, it's wonderful. Needless to say, yeah, it's 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 funny but sad how Matt Duchesne, everywhere he goes, a black cloud uh, seems to fall. Just seems to follow him. Like he can't shake it off. I feel bad for him too, because he, know. you know, he's a really good player. Yeah, um, really it's good just, too, yeah. But he has the ter- he has the worst luck imaginable. I know. He's got the wily e. coyote black cloud with the other. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
It's also funny, too, because he always says, like, I'm, I'm glad, like, when he was traded to Ottawa, he says that I'm glad I, um, I look forward to the playoffs uh, or something similar to that, and obviously that backfired, but um, it's just, uh, it's, it, he, he does seem to be a, he's definitely a talented player, it's just, um, for whatever reason, his, his team is never good enough. Uh, this trade, uh, these next two trades actually happened two weeks ago. We just didn't have time to talk about them because of ever, speaking of the Duchesne trade. Uh, but uh, Nick Jensen goes to uh, Washington in a 2019 fifth. Uh, that was Buffalo's. Uh, goes to Washington as well. And then uh, Detroit gets Madison Bowie and a 2020 second round pick. Um yeah, I, I, I kind of like this trade for both sides. Um, I think Jensen has been playing for Washington for a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like Bowie more, though, uh, just looking at both guys' stats. Um, but, uh, yeah, what is... what is he, uh, Let's go to Steve again, because we went to Chris a couple times um, uh, more. So, yeah, so Steve, uh, what is your thoughts on this? So when it comes to uh, the Carl Eglin trade, this guy's nothing but an extra body that can spark oh. something if he catches fire. That's that's uh, the kind of trade uh, that uh, that Carl uh, that Carl Eglin is. Well, we're talking out. about the Nick Jensen for Madison Bowie trade. Oh, okay, okay. We'll, we'll, go we'll to get to we'll get to Eglin in a second. Yeah. Okay, okay. So so Madison Bowie, you're right. If I'm going on future potential, I like what Madison Bowie brings to the Detroit Red Wings. I still think he's got a bright future at such a young age. Only played a couple of years. He played with Team Canada at the World Junior level. Um, there's definitely room to go for him. He should get lots of chances in Detroit. Uh, and they also get a second-round pick, which, hey, helps the rebuild, right? Yeah. Um, for the Caps, Nick Jensen's averaging over 20 minutes per game. Um, like I said, he was doing that on a young and rebuilding Red Wings team. Um, in the top 80 amongst NHL blue liners in average time on ice per game. Uh, averages 2.2 stretch passes per game, which is 17th amongst NHL defenders. Also averages 5.8 block passes per game, which is 32nd in the league amongst blue liners. And over the next four years, because he signed an extension with Washington shortly after this deal, He's going to be making $3 million in year one, $2 million in year two, $3 million in year three, $2 million in year four. That's a grand total of $10 million, a pretty good budget for a defenseman that has the potential of really helping out this Cavs team. I think he's I think he's a more developed Madison Bowie. Yeah, uh, that's fair. But I think down the road, Madison Bowie um, is, going to have a, is going to have an NHL future of his own, and I think he should be able to do some good work with the Red Wings organization. But... Uh, just for now, uh, Washington needs immediate help, and uh, I don't, I don't think Bowie was getting it done. So I guess they felt it was worth bringing Nick Jensen along for the ride. Yeah, that's fair to say. Um, I, I like that comparison that Nick Jensen is like a Madison Bowie more developed. So, um, but I don't know. I, I I feel like Bowie has more potential even still. Yeah. Um, and all that. Uh, Chris, what what do you have to say? Well, that's pretty much about, about the same okay. as what I, what I had to say about, uh, you know, Jensen's a nice, steady guy. Now he can develop into that maybe a little bit more. Um, Washington just couldn't wait any longer. They, need, they needed that, that, that presence now that they, 
did not have at all this year. I mean, they're 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 a bit of a mess defensively. Okay, they're a lot of a mess <laughs> uh, at times, and you just can't have that if you're going to try and repeat as Stanley Cup champions or even advance somewhat far in the playoffs because they have a shot. Because the Metro is all, is not that good. So right. they, they can just get to the conference final and maybe draw Tampa and get lucky. Um, yeah, it's weird to say that Washington matches up better with Tampa than most teams, but they, for some reason, do. It's something with the Southeast Division cold uh, floodpipes. But uh, this is the type of trade that they, they had to make uh, if, if they had any aspirations of getting past round one. And I, I don't think... You know, it's one of those things where it's like, hmm, no, we, we would have a problem otherwise. I see. Uh, last trade we're going to talk about here. Uh, Carl Hagelin goes to Washington. Uh, the Kings get uh, a 2019 third-round pick and a 2020 conditional sixth-round pick. Uh, that condition is that Washington, uh, that sixth-round pick uh, will is um or you know that six round pick will happen if Washington wins two or more playoff rounds um in the playoffs and Hagelin plays in 50% or more of that um of those games um in those two rounds um so so that's a well, actually it's any it's an yeah. any for the 2019 playoff round so let's say uh, they go to the conference finals yeah he plays in like 50% or more of the combined total games in like round 1 and round 3 they could still get the pick. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's 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 an odd sort of condition. Oh, you, you want to hear funny conditions? The Shattenkirk to Washington oh, trade is nuts. No. Oh, that, that that messed with my brain when I heard the conditions the first time. Just like, uh, okay, yeah. so one plus two equals orange. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was just all right. Well, it was a weird wording, so I I guess yeah, I yeah, no, no, messed no. what yeah. I messed it up. I guess I misunderstood it, but. Uh, so I guess it, it doesn't matter. So if Washington makes it to the Stanley Cup Finals, Hagelin has to play in two of the fifty percent of that playoff round, basically. Um, I would I would understand, but anyways, uh, Hagelin adds depth to Washington's uh, core. Um, it could be a a good add. It would be kind of interesting if Washington does play Pittsburgh because Hagelin was on the Penguins for a time there um so it'd be kind of like a, a like a nemesis playing each other or their former team kind of thing but um yeah i don't know i i think Hagelin's a good player he's a good death player at the moment and um yeah this i i kind of like this deal uh for for washington yeah, re remember when? Uh, remember when the HBK, the Hagelin Benito Kessel line was a thing, and Kessel's oh, yeah. the only one left yeah, in yeah. Pittsburgh. It's true. It's, it's crazy how things have changed in a couple of years. L like I said, ju uh, jumping the gun with Hagelin the first time. This guy's nothing but an extra body that could spark something if he catches fire. But otherwise, the dude is tied for 565th in points per game. Yeah. Like he's a shell of what he once was. Um, at creating offense, but he brings a bit of speed to the bottom six, not much else. At the very least, the Kings are getting a third-round pick for Hagelin, and, you know, if they draft well, that third-round pick could turn into something good. So, um, I think uh, getting fair value for Carl Hagelin, uh, the Kings got that. So, yep. uh, full kudos uh, to their staff for doing that, and hopefully for Washington, Carl Hagelin gets the job done. 
Uh, Chris, do you have anything on it? Uh, yeah, Hagelin just has some wheels. Washington needed some depth uh, to provide a little bit of speed, and occasionally he can pop in, pop in a goal here and there, which is perfect for a playoff uh, acquisition and little else. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, that that's about it for us. It's we're, we find, we reached the two minute two hour mark here. Uh, so so thanks a lot, Chris, for uh, bearing with us here and giving us your uh, great insight. Uh, we really appreciate it um, and take for you to take this time out here. Um, it's been a it's been a fun two hours. And this is a lot more fun than what I'm supposed to supposedly experience over the next like ten to twelve hours with this uh, what they're calling oatmeal snow that's supposed to start falling around six seven yeah. o'clock tonight. So wow. This should this should be a lot of fun. It's just a snow like an inch an hour for like eight or nine hours. So. Wow. Yeah, it's uh-huh. gonna be that like ugly like cake like snow that just like sticks on everything. So. Jeez. Um. Yeah. Uh- yeah, so we'll have an episode uh, next, or gonna that should be out uh, tomorrow um, about everything else uh, that happened this week um, in the hockey world, uh, which with just me and Steve. But uh, for now, um, you can listen to our trade deadline talk with uh, Chris. Uh, thanks again. Um, you can catch us on at SoundCloud, uh, iTunes. Follow us on at Twitter. Um, which is uh, Lace Up Podcast, and our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks.